Hey, thanks for joining another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're talking to Herbert Drayton III. I met Herbert about a year ago, and he has such an interesting story, the least of which is that he's the only Black-led VC funder in South Carolina. We hear about how he became that, about his background in the military, and a lot of things in between, including a lot of tips where whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a entrepreneur, you're going to want to hear what he's got to say. All this next on Footnotes. And we also want to thank our friends at the Boyd Innovation Center and GroCo for allowing us to shoot uh, this episode here today. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. Herbert, we're glad to have you here on this episode of Footnotes. And, and of course, you're Herbert Drayton III, uh, the managing partner of Highmark Capital. Um, Herbert, I know we got to know each other through a, a thing we were involved with with Venture Carolina um, last year. And I remember when you talked about what you did, sort of the, you know, everyone's introducing themselves. Um, I really did sense the room sort of start really leaning forward mm. because the things that you're doing are not really being done really at any scale, uh, certainly in our in our state. Um, so why don't we just start with what are you doing uh, at Highmark that made people, you know, this room full of entrepreneurs and business leaders really lean in and want to hear more? Well, well, first of all, thanks for having me, John. I'm delighted to be here. What, what we're doing at Highmark is we're investing in BIPOC and women entrepreneurs, primarily tech-enabled companies across the Southeast. Um, they're, they're initially, there's a bit of a concentration with the folks just here in South Carolina or folks that have a nexus back to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I think what caused people to lean in, as, as, as you said, is because um, in the state at the time, there was not a majority-owned black VC firm. And also, there's this perception out there that um, BIPOC and women entrepreneurs don't create high-growth um, businesses, and that's just not true. So th- those those two anomalies combine to, I guess, force people to lean in unconsciously. If yeah, you know. yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it is unique, you know, and in kind of where we're we're sort of training the business community to talk about, you know, value proposition and and what what are you doing that no one else is doing? Well, the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people doing essentially very similar things. Thankfully, the economy is large enough to withstand a lot of yeah, that. Yeah. But again, going back to what you guys are doing at Highmark, there's not a lot of that. And I think you just said that there, there's this sort of perception or people sort of think that, you know, people of color, women are not sort of doing these things. Well, I think you disagree. I, I completely disagree. You know, when, when I when I launched the venture, there were two things that folks said I would have uh, that's working against me, sort of the going uphill, crawling on glass, right? Uh, one is first-time fund manager. Um, it, it's hard without a track record to get people to, to get uh, partners to invest in your fund, much less institutional investors to invest in your fund because traditionally you have to have a, a, a track record. Well, that record doesn't start until you start fund one. So you have to lean right. into that. And the, the second thing that um, a lot of folks said, and I think that it was a small choir trying to detract me or deter me from leaning into it, is that there would not be the pipeline. There would not be enough black businesses or people of color businesses or women businesses that would attract VC money. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned that as a fund manager, um, the, the, I guess the way I understand it, you're, you are the man in the middle. You have to ask people with money to trust you mm-hmm. in your judgment, in your process yes. to invest. But at the same time, you've got other people that have to trust you 
in your process mm -hmm. when you're making those investments? What's it like to be the man in the middle of those two things? The man in the middle. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm comfortable being that, that guy in the middle. Mm -hmm. And um, that comfort comes from, you know, being in the space a long time, not the investment space, but being an entrepreneur. I've had, you know, a dozen companies over the past 25 years in, in three different sectors. So I've stubbed my toe a lot. I've mm -hmm. run into a lot of barriers. I understand the systemic issues that are out there. So for that entrepreneur, that population, if you will, I understand exactly what they're going through. I, I, and I can, we, we can have those types of granular conversations that gives them a level of comfort to, to begin to trust me and to share my opinion with them. But those opinions are informed by my experiences and, and facts on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but then you, on the other side, the, the limited partners. A lot of folks who want to invest in a black fund manager or want to invest in black owned businesses they, they understand the systemic issues that a lot of these entrepreneurs have been facing. Mm -hmm. The hard part, I remember um, former Secretary of Commerce said to me, Herb, we know that there's a need in the black community to make investments and then we know that there's a need to invest in women entrepreneurs, but we just haven't had a way to do it. We have not had a vehicle to do, to do it. I said, well, let me be your vehicle. Mm -hmm. And But I've had that conversation, you know, I've talked to well over 300 entrepreneurs, but also talk with well over 300 LPs, trying to get the LPs to make a commitment that aligns with their public narrative, that they want to lean into the black community or they want to invest in women. Uh, and, and then also get the entrepreneurs to have the trust that the resources are truly there, but it's not like flipping a switch, right? You have to court, you know, they have to convince me that it's a sustainable high growth company but I also have to con con convince the folks over here that I can identify sustainable high growth companies. Yeah. You know, we were having our conversation before this, the word trust came up a lot. You're, we're mentioning it now. And I think, you know, th th this audience, um, let's, let's talk about trust. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't know that there's trust in the business world and then trust in the personal world. It's not like it's a different animal, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in a different setting, but how, how have you gone about trying to cultivate that trust? And, and let's talk about first with, with investors. Okay. What does that look like for, for someone in, in your role? You know, I, I've, I've been very fortunate and I've been invited to engage with organizations that already have trust. Hmm. And one of those organizations is the Coastal Community Foundation in Charleston. It's a Right now, assets under management, 463 million. We grant out north of 20 million annually. Wow. Um, I joined that organization in, in 2016, and last year I became the chair uh, of, of that organization. And we serve the, the nine coastal regions of, of South Carolina, right? Um, I got introduced to the folks over at Bank of America because of a meeting that the foundation had with Bank of America. I was introduced as the chair, but then we also made them aware that I had this fund. And Bank of America was the first to make a commitment to the fund. It was a matching commitment. Um, so that 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 trust, kind of a bank shot to Bank of America. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened with the folks at Invest SC with the SSBCI funds. I got connected to the chair of um, 
Investments, not not Invest SC. Um, the chair of Jetta. Okay. I got um, got connected with him through Coastal Community Foundation through a meeting we had down in Buford, <laughs> and um, from there those two relationships took off, and from there I could use that sort of that reputational capital of the foundation, the state, and Bank of America to have much more robust conversations with other LPs that, that I've been trying sure. to pull in. So, you know, to paraphrase, I mean, trust travels. Trust travels, absolutely. Is what it sounds yes, like. Yes, There's no geographic boundaries. Right? Yeah, and, and yeah. like you said, you, you used the term a bank shot. You yeah. know, you had a relationship that, that had been cultivated o- yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think we, we, we know, but I think we have to be reminded that trust has grown. You know, I don't know that it starts at full strength, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, and, and so it's interesting that you, you know, you look at, you, you focus on growing the trust where you are mm-hmm. and then that bank shot happens yeah. and it travels with you. Yeah. Yeah. So now how about on the other side with, with entrepreneurs that, that yeah. maybe are, are coming to you with a different need mm-hmm. and maybe from a diff, certainly from a different angle. Mm-hmm. I, I think with the, with the entrepreneurs, it's access. Okay. If they have access to you, that's the start of trust. And what I mean by that is if, if you ran into an entrepreneur right now, a BIPOC woman entrepreneur, and you said, man, I think this person should have a conversation with Herbert. You need to know that in the back of your mind that I promised you that I will have, I will give every entrepreneur 30 minutes. If it's coming from a trusted source, if you will, sure. every entrepreneur gets 30 minutes. I will send my calendar link. And, and and then we will find time to talk. Now, sometimes getting together maybe two or three weeks out, but to that entrepreneur, that's that's goal to them, to have the conversation mm-hmm. with them. And if someone comes in through the webpage, you know, what I would do in the past is I would send them the link and say, hey, find some time, let's get together. But I've begun to be more proactive with that. If someone fills out the contact me on the web, contact us on the webpage, I, I just go out less than 30 days, find a date and send them an invite. I have never had anyone decline the invite because that's, they're yeah. not expecting that, right? Right. So that trust begins right at, at that moment where they realize, man, I reached out and I truly have access or you send me an email saying, would you talk to this person? I simply say, yes, give them my link and let's do it. So now get into a little bit of maybe maybe your process with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So so like you said, if if, if you're going to get 30 minutes from me. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you sort of made a commitment to that. Yeah. Um, what are you listening for or looking for or even hoping for maybe mm-hmm. that gets the next meeting? Mm-hmm. If, if the first meeting's guaranteed, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. For people that are listening to this, what's going to help go to the next, mm-hmm. maybe the longer meeting, the face-to-face? Mm-hmm. What's, what, what's going to cause you to open your network? Mm-hmm. to them. What, what are some things you're looking for? I, I think two things. The, the first part is if if they don't have an investable enterprise, but and when I say investable, I mean if, if they don't have a, uh, an enterprise where VC dollars are, are appropriate, I'm not going to try and force VC dollars on them so that okay. I could have an un, unfavorable. It'll be, it'll be a, an unbalanced relationship, if you will, right? Hmm. That person may just need a loan and they don't, they may need that loan and not have a knowledge of a community development financial institution, CDFI, right? Um, so I make them, I'll make them aware of the CDFI and I've got at least one solid relationship with one of the CDFIs where they actually gave me their initial documents. Mm. So when I believe someone is 
just needs that, that loan from the CFI, I send them those documents and tell them to fill that out and get that back to me. And once I get that, then I do a, a hard inquiry with that CDFI and simply, hey, are you interested in this? And if they are, then I will let them know. If they're not, I ask them to tell me why and I communicate back with, with that entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, where something appears to be investable, uh, it, it's really determining whether or not that entrepreneur has the ability to listen. Interesting. Because most entrepreneurs, uh, I found that, well, we, number one, the BIPOC and women entrepreneurs, they, they don't have the uh, invisible ecosystem that most of the white entrepreneurs do, right? I don't have a lawyer in my family. I don't have a CPA in my family. So those services that they're, or a marketing person, so those relationships and competencies that they need to really hit velocity, they don't exist. So they've been trying to do all of those things on their own. And I may have a conversation with an entrepreneur and say, hey, look, this is great, but you need to bring in a fractional CEO or you need to do an RFP so we can put it out there and find a marketing firm for you. Because just because you have 2,000 followers on Facebook doesn't mean you understand social media marketing, right? So, so I, and if, and if they receive that information well, then we're in a position to have um, the, the next conversation because there's always a to-do list. Sure. Uh, I, I, I also have a, um, a one page, it's called a business plan snapshot. I don't need to see 30 pages. It's a business plan snapshot. What's your business? Who's your customer? How are you gonna get to them? Um, what's your traction so far? Who are key strategic relationships you have? And then how much money you need? All on one page. So it forces them to tighten up their messaging. Mm -hmm. I get that back, then we have a conversation. And then the, 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 um, the third thing I will say is that some folks may just need access to others. And, okay. and in those instances, um, you know, I had to put these boundaries around everything I do, right? So if, if I'm just having a conversation with someone and I need to make some connections, I try to identify five connections in my network that I can connect them to. Like if I knew somebody needed to talk with you, I would send you an email, hey, John, I've got this person, this is what they do. Do you mind having a conversation with them? And once you say yes, I just do the hard handoff and let you, you, you continue to have the conversation. I hope that people pick up that, that those are three distinct things that, that you're doing for mm -hmm. them. And, and, and I'm also in my day job an advisor. And I think people, even our clients come to us with, with an issue and, and, and it's not, the issue isn't the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue yeah. is a, is a preceding step or yeah. maybe even a pre-preceding -pre step yeah. that needs to be addressed so that the issue can come in. And I, and I think also something that I heard you say was, you know, you ask people to condense that business plan to a one pager. Yeah. I think I'm not sure where where it's being taught, but you know these these super lengthy dozens of slide PowerPoints yeah, for business yeah. plans um, sort of sort of get at all oh, that's nice, you know. But, it, but it's <laughs> yeah, kind of like yeah. the, uh, the 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 quote. I think it was what Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched, punched in the, in the face. face. Yeah. And, um, being an entrepreneur, if anything, it's about being how many punches in the face can you take <laughs> on an hourly basis? It I, seems I agree. like I agree. and uh, still be still be standing. Um, well, let's talk about how you got to where you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, background and context is, is important. And, and of course, you know, Highmark probably wasn't a thought you had in the shower one day and all of a sudden said, no. Let, let's go and do this. No, no. So, so take us back. I mean, mm -hmm. take us back to even maybe pre Highmark. What, what were the things that were going on that really led you and take us through that, those steps mm -hmm. 
to get to the, the Herbert Drayton that's sitting here. Okay, okay. Um, so I, I always have to give props to the Marine Corps. Uh, okay. Although that's way, way, way back when, right? But um, that's that's where the discipline and the resilience, I mean, that was born in Paris Island and it's just, it's just been continuing to grow, right? Um, you know, my my workout partner, uh, he and I, we've been working out since 1991 again. So we, you know, wow. we worked out this morning as well, right before before I came up here. Um, he he approached me, I believe it was 2008, and said, "Will you help me with my business?" And it was a medical company. And I went over and took a look at it, and I said yes. And with that, I grew it from I think it was within three years, grew it from $900,000 a year to about five million dollars a year. Wow. So out of that, he, you know, he gave me a 50%, a 51% position in the company. And I started just going out and working with other medical practices, just focusing on revenue enhancement and, and, and cost reduction. Did that across the state, practically worked with every specialty. Um, I remember asking him once, how much money do you want to make? <laughs> and it took him maybe about three months to give me that number. But when I got that number, I said, do you mind what I do with the rest of the money? And wasn't going to do anything illicit or anything. But from there, that's sort of where the, the angel was born. Uh, because once he got what he needed, I got what I needed, there was excess cash. So then we started to dabble, um, did a lot of stuff in software, um, had six software companies um, as a result of all of that with, with two exits in software. Um, another good friend of mine who worked and um, who worked with me when I was the IT director at, at a major private hospital um, in, in Charleston, she came to me just before Christmas one one year and said, "Hey, I want you to buy my company." And I said, <laughs> "All right." And, and we, you know, she told me the economics of it, and it was a good deal. And uh, so we bought that company, which was a, an educate a training company. Um, we bought that company, brought her on board as COO. Then we bought a Dale Carnegie franchise, uh, which which revenues doubled with that acquisition. And then we actually sold both of those companies and we ended up selling one of the, um, we sold the two of the medical companies as well. But in, in this process, John, what happened, um, I got a little bit frustrated with my partners. And um, so we, I decided that we would begin selling off assets. We had sold off four, we had, sold, we had four transactions and we had two left. Then George Floyd was murdered. Mm. And about six to 12 months, after, about six months after that, a number of colleagues reached out and said they want to do something for the black community. Well, in my work with Coastal Community Foundation, I saw all the philanthropic dollars coming in and I challenged them and said, look, we don't, we don't need more philanthropic dollars. We got, we got more. We're trying to deploy everything that we have, right? Uh, and I asked them to invest in black-owned businesses. And they all said yes. But when I took them five deals, they all said no. So mm -hmm. complete 180. And um, from there, I said, all right, well, who's investing in Black-owned businesses? And it was Black Angels, Black VCs. And I said, I'll just find one in the state. We didn't have one. And I'm sorry. We didn't have not a Black one? VC firm. No, no. A Black majority VC-owned firm was not in the state. So I decided to lean into that and... I called a couple of folks that I knew. Um, yeah, everybody knows. I called Anita Zucker and said, hey, Anita, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I called Amy Salzhauer with Good Growth Capital. This is what I'm thinking about doing. Um, 
and a couple of other colleagues, Darren Goss and uh, Ed McKelvey, called all these folks. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And they all sort of cautioned me a little bit, but they all wanted to help in any way they can. Amy's firm, Good Growth Capital, actually set me up as a sidecar fund to help me, sort of give me a, a master's lesson in becoming a VC. Dave Mendez and I have been working together. Um, and and from there, it's just, it, it's that's what's got me here since March 2021. I've been fundraising, talking to entrepreneurs, and, oh, and that's, that's the journey is here today. Yeah. So, um, and, and as, as the listeners might might hear that you can hear background, we're actually in an active work environment. Uh, we're here at the Boyd Innovation yeah. Center. And so this is a people where people have real jobs and they're doing work. But um, so so here's here's what I was hoping we could talk to. And, okay. and all this is kind of kind of setting up for something that we also talked about in, in previous conversations. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of this, you know, I'm again a paraphrase is an integrated life. Mm. You've talked about building trust. You've talked about trust travels. Mm-hmm. You've talked about people you've known, workout partners over lengthy periods of time, even the Marine Corps. And I know you had other previous military experience uh, with that as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in your life and it doesn't sound like all of them are black. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all not black. No. Um, Let's talk about that integrated life that you told me about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, went to uh, segregated schools up through high school. And I remember the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, we took that bus out to, out to um, um, Paris Island. It was in the evening. You get there, it's dark. And, you know, once they stopped there, you could look out the window and see this, these floodlights. And they were shining on the ground. And the drill instructors came in and just started screaming at everybody, telling us, get off the bus, get off the bus. Don't worry about yourself, just, let's get off the bus. You run, you get off the bus, and then there's another drill instructor there saying, find footprints and stand on them. And you know, you think, where are the footprints? Well, you look down, there's like 80 footprints spray painted in yellow. And you stand on these footprints. And then the senior drill instructor comes in front of us and he says, I don't care where you're from, I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, Jewish, Greek, Christian, I don't care. You, everyone's first name from this point on is recruit. And to me, the color of everyone standing before me is green. <laughs> so your first name is recruit and everybody's green. So mm. that was really my, and, and I didn't know it at the time, but that was my first experience of leading, being in an integrated community because if the white guy screwed up, the black guy got in trouble, the Jewish guy got in trouble, the Asian guy got in trouble. So we literally had to always work together and we were there for 13 weeks. So we were, that began my, my journey as an, you know, an integrated life, if you will. And that set the foundation for everything that I've been able to lean into. Now, were there moments where he just like said, I can't believe this is happening. There, there were some moments like that, but I think because I was steeled from that experience. It helped, you know, move beyond that. So, in becoming a United States Marine, I mean, that that is a unique experience, mm-hmm. and and they are the the was the few and the proud. Yeah, yeah. So, not everybody, not everybody is able to start that way. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who? How, how old were you, by the way, when you when you began that experience? Eighteen. Okay. Six months, three months out of high school. No, actually. 
two months out of high school. Graduated in May, hit Paris Island in July. Wow. Yeah. What a great time to be on, the time yeah. of the year to be on Paris Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sand fleas and all. Yeah. So, so let's say there's someone out here that's listening and, and they're not 18 mm-hmm. and, and they were not a U.S. Marine, mm-hmm. uh, but they are where they are mm-hmm. and they're wondering, okay, well, that's great. He spent 13 weeks getting yelled at and, mm-hmm. you know, getting formed as a, as a person, but but I've been living, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've, I'm 10 years out of college or I'm 10 years out of high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where does a person start to build something like that without the Marine Corps? You know, I did um, a couple of weeks ago, I was with the um, a youth development company in in, uh, in Charleston, summer camp for, for kids. I think they're seven, eight, nine years old, right? And my job was just to go there and read a story about resilience. <laughs> and I read the story um, about this kid and they, you know, they, they told the kids my background and there's this little girl in the back. She raised her hand and says, I've got a business idea that I want to do. <laughs> Nine years old, right? <laughs> I'm So that entrepreneurial gene, it's, it's in you, <laughs> you know, at, at that early stage, yeah. right? But as you progress through, a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck because they don't want to listen. And, and it, it's, a, it's a simple value prop to me, right? If you've got an idea, are you going to have to push your way into the market or is the market going to pull you into it? And that's just a hard, it's a basic hard question to answer. You may think you've got something great. Well, if the market will only allow you to have 10% of it and 10% of it will bring you $30,000 a year, are you willing to accept that $30,000 or is that just a beachhead to something else that you want to? I've never met an entrepreneur with a single idea. I, I just haven't. Mm-hmm. So, so they've got to be able to iterate on what they do. Um, they can't be afraid to write it down. They can't be afraid to tell a stranger what their idea is. Um, my daughter reminded me of something um, maybe a couple of years ago. When we had our home, it was a five-bedroom home, and one room had nothing but white walls in it. And every time I had an idea, I would write it on the wall. <laughs> it was like a beautiful mind, but in the full yeah. closet, right? I just write it on the wall. And, and I did that, and I never painted that room. When I sold the house, I had to wash the damn walls, right? To get it all off. But it's going through, you know, it's like this trip down memory lane of, you look at some of the ideas, man, that was crazy. So you're going to have those crazy ideas, and then you look at man, I should have leaned into that a little bit more. That that'll happen. But I'm saying, just pick one that you think you can execute on, and just execute on that idea. Don't throw the the other ones out of the window. Put it in a notebook, whatever. But you're going to learn so much from just doing one thing, and yeah. you may go back and do the other things as well. So. If, if it sounds like you mentioned earlier, kind of this, this marker in your professional career was was the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And so that was in, uh, you know, 2020. Yep. So we're about three years beyond that, mm-hmm. which, depending on what you're looking at, can be a long time or mm-hmm. it can feel like a day. Mm-hmm. Where's Highmark now? And... What do you want to tell the listeners? If someone happens upon this episode, and they're either watching it on video or they listen to it on podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, what's the message that you've got for them from Highmark now, three years out? You know, if 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 you if your idea was a good idea in 
2019 or 2020 and going back to that push-pull, but there's some execution risk or some external things having an impact on you, you should still be prepared to lean into that, that idea. Hmm. And I, I will also say that just because you've asked 10 people to invest in your company doesn't mean that the 11th won't. So you've got to continue to not only lean into the idea, if you need capital, lean into it. If you need marketing support, you, you, you lean into it because it, eventually, you know, you, you may, you may get, get that one thing that sort of trips you over. And, and from my perspective, I would tell entrepreneurs, don't throw up on people. And, 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 and you know, and, and what I mean by that is, I, I've I've engaged with entrepreneurs, and then to your point, then I get a fifty-slide deck. Right, nobody's going to look at it. Uh, if you can't get your messaging down to one page, then you're going to have a, you're going to have a hard time getting the audiences that they need. And the the other thing I was saying, it's kind of nuggets, right? Um, don't make your website a vanity website about you. Interesting. You know, you go to a lot of websites and you see the entrepreneur. Great. That's a headshot, you know, under the teams or about us, right? But on the front of the page, what is it that you're trying to have folks pull you into? Mm -hmm. Your product or your service should be clear when you when you hit the landing page. And and, and a lot of entrepreneurs, they miss the mark in doing that. And, and then there's no one courageous enough to tell them, well, that doesn't make any damn sense. You know, you need to change that. Hmm. What What is that attraction that it seems like entrepreneurs have to overcomplicating things? What 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 would you say is is behind that? They're romanticizing their ideas. Okay, that's all. That they're, they're They're romanticizing. They They figure, you know, oh, just a little bit more lipstick. You know, oh, just a little bit more trim. You know, just just a different outfit. It will look. No, the, the idea is the idea. And if you were, if you just focus on that messaging and continuing to tighten up that messaging and work, um, one of the things I, I I share with entrepreneurs is I tell them, listen to your favorite song, <clears throat> and um, and and I ask them, how long does it take for for that for that artist to tell that story and that song that's made you fall so much in love with it? So you're talking less. You're talking about a three-minute song you hear for the first time. Now you're in love with it, and now you know all the words. We, you know, when we pitch our companies, we should it should be a song. You know, three minutes or less, you should be able to get it out, and someone should fall in love with it. And I also tell, ask them, what is your favorite commercial? Most commercials, average length is what, what, 45 seconds? Yeah. And everybody's got a favorite commercial. They know exactly what it's about. Why can't you do that with your idea? <laughs> Just... Those two exercises alone should get entrepreneurs to the point where they should be able to tell you exactly who they are and what they do. And then leave it up to you to ask more questions. Don't try to throw up on people and tell them everything that, that's in your satchel. Let people ask. Yeah. Those are wise words, you know, and, and I think, you know, going back to overcomplication, like they're not complicated. They're, they're almost deceptively simple. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see similar things out there also as an investor myself, you mm -hmm. know, and, and just people wanting to really pigeonhole you for an hour if they could mm -hmm. to just tell you about this great idea. And sometimes the idea really is great. Mm -hmm. 
but it sort of gets lost in all the, 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 the fuzziness and the noise you know, yeah. around yeah. it, you know, and you're trying to get yeah. to that, to that yeah. nugget to help them understand that. Um, I really appreciate you sitting down and, and doing this. Um, I, I hope that a lot of people listen to this and, and, you know, we're going to do our best to, to get it out to as many people as possible. But I love how you made it, how you make yourself accessible. I, I hope that's not lost on people that, that everyone gets 30 minutes yeah. if, they can, if they can get to you and get yeah. to your website. And by the way, what is your website? Uh, www.highmarkcapital.com. And that's H-I-M-A-R-K-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. So highmarkcapital, yes. all spelled out, yeah. H-I.com. Dot com. Um, so they can get to your website. They can fill out that form. Mm-hmm. They're going to get 30 minutes from you. They should oh, yeah. take that phone call. They should take the phone call, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I just love how you spelled it out, you know, mm-hmm. and said, keep it simple. Keep keep your website simple. Focus on the idea and meet people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs>